Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean episode 87. The MAPT team is here to answer your questions, whether you're a pre-med student, pre-PA student. Yeah, we can talk about that too, um, or anything in between. <sighs> I'm with the MAPT team, uh, starting with Verinia on the top there, Verinia Granham, Hello. former assistant dean of pre-health and STEM advising at Hofstra University. <laughs> Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. The sun is shining. It's about 40 degrees in New York. Nice. So it's pretty much balmy today. Very nice. Uh, what is your uh, key kind of pre-med philosophy? Quick, quick little one-liner pre-med philosophy. Ooh, <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, I don't know if I have a ph- one word philosophy. Um as an advisor, my goal is to help you through this process. We may reflect and find out maybe it's not the right time for you to apply. It's never no. It's a matter of maybe not now. Nice. So we'll figure it out. Never know, maybe not now. That's your philosophy. I love it. There, I figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director at TMD, SAS, not to be called Tim Sauce. How are you doing, my friend? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing very well. In comparison to uh, Verinia's weather report, it is sunny and 70 degrees here in Austin, Texas. And uh, I'm doing, yeah, right. And I'm doing uh doing really well so thank you ryan yeah uh we we uh we were bragging about our sunny and 70 degree weather in december until we weren't when wildfires took over our town (laughs) uh, because it was 70 and sunny so yeah and the rain yeah yeah there there are issues there yeah and rachel grubbs co-founder at mapped mcat test prep experts wizard um how are you doing i'm great uh, I have no idea what the weather is. I haven't even looked out a window today. <laughs> that is, that, is, that oh, is the right answer. Yeah. When, when you work from home, who cares about the weather? Yeah, right. Locked up in my studio <laughs> office. There you go. Um, Rachel and I are both walking, w- rocking our work hard, be creative, do good shirts. Um, <laughs> I've got one too. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah, you do. I didn't. Do I didn't the shorter know. people, the words don't always show up on camera. Well, I, I'm standing. So that's, that's why yeah. I love the rainbow. Yes. Um, awesome. Awesome. Rachel, the artsy med got into med school. Yay. No surprise there. <laughs> yes. Congrats. Awesome. Yeah, Rachel, awesome. you're so, Aww. that is so awesome. I'm so Rachel, excited. Rachel, is that for the interview that you had last week? Yeah, I bet it is. Let us know. Yeah, that, that I is. think that was our only interview. So it yeah, has to be. that's so awesome, Rachel. I am so excited for you. Yay. Scott, you did a mock interview mm-hmm. with Rachel. Yeah. Um, t- tell us why she got into medical school. How awesome was she in her interviews? 
Oh, great. She did a great job in her interview, uh, mock interview with me. And I'm sure that that was, uh, she's just got a great story. And, and, uh, Rachel, you're just, uh, you're going to be a great, uh, a great doctor. So uh, I'm super excited for you. That's awesome. You know what that means? We, we got a refund of her application academy, uh, uh, uh membership, <laughs> right? which is, I love to do it. We said that's our favorite reason to refund. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Congratulations. Absolutely. Yeah. Congratulations, Absolutely. Rachel. We are thrilled for you. Oh man. I'm so excited. And she's here in Austin. I, I need to take her out for a beer or something. Uh, nice. <laughs> awesome right. sauce. Congrats. Cool. What a wonderful kickoff to the yeah. session. Yep. See? Absolutely. That's what happens. It's not, it, it's never, no, it's maybe not yet or not now, but all right, Rachel, we'll get you on, um, the, the pre mid year. So I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll chat awesome. with you. Yeah. That, that is so cool. All right, let's rock and roll. Some questions. If you're watching on Instagram, go over to mapped.tv, M-A-P-P-D.tv, and we'll answer your questions there. James asks, should each shadowing opportunity be separated in the activity section for AMCAS, which is the WMC, or should they all be in one, each physician shadowed multiple times, or just separate online versus in person? Verinia. The dreaded shadowing, how many spots should it take up? How do I format mm-hmm. this question? Yeah, I don't think I don't think this should be separated. Shadowing, um, you want to save space for your activities that were you were more engaged in and you were more active in. Um, shadowing, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's a very passive activity. And, and of course, not to discount it. Um, it's still an experience. Um, I, I would, if you are struggling to fit everything in, I would, group those together as much as possible. You also don't ha- want to necessarily have, you know, five separate shadowing activities and only, you know, a handful of other more um, hands-on um, activities. So I vote for kind of grouping it as much as possible. Yep. 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 Agreed. Group it all. Mm-hmm. And then typically the question that follows is, well, who do I put for the contact person? You can put the most recent person. Mm-hmm. You can put the person who knows you the best. 99.999% chance none of those people are called. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just just pick one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Jen asks, is interviewing for a spot on the wait list a thing? Just something I've seen said about interview invites given out this late. Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions. This is something I hear all the time. Later interviews are, are for wait list spots, not necessarily for available seats that are left later in the cycle. Well, it, you know, as with a lot of the things that we talk about, it, it depends on the school. And uh, but I think that that's p- possible uh, that a school, you know, everybody were the way things work in my experience off of uh, in the medical school admissions process is a lot of things are based on the history of that medical school. So they have an idea of how many people they need to interview in a given year based on their historical track record. They, they, they know how many people they need to interview in a year to, to yield the class that they, that they want. They know how many people they want on their wait list, depending on, uh, you know, uh, a variety of, of, of past factors that they need on their wait, waiting list to be able to have a, a deep enough waiting list to accommodate uh, new spots that are going to open up later in the, in the spring or early summer. So it is possible that a school um, 
would look at their waiting list or, or the people that they have interviewed that they still have in their pool and, and identify that we, we need to have a, a, a bigger pool. So let's interview some more people to, you know, we don't have the spots right now, but we anticipate that we will. So we'll put them on a waiting list. So I would say, yes, it, it is possible, possible that that is a thing, uh, depending on the school. And, uh, so, and, you know, obviously they're probably not going to tell you that up front, but, uh, but, you know, I don't think you would treat it any differently, even if you knew that that was the case. Yep. Yep. Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Back again. I get paid as an RA at school to be on call for COVID isolation, transport, mail delivery, and pretty much provide everything they need and make sure they are okay. Ring, ding, 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 ding. Is this clinical experience? <laughs> Our favorite question. Right. Um, COVID isolation transport. Is that like you put a blanket around them when they walk to the common bathroom to make sure that they're isolating? I'm not sure. Doesn't sound like clinical experience. Yeah, I would say no. Yeah. Yep. Just sorry, Ryan. Jim. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Definitely an interesting activity and one that you might want to put on your application, but I wouldn't cat- categorize it as uh, mm-hmm. clinical. Abdul, this might be a repeated question, but do medical schools really care if you go to an elite school or not? So I'm in a couple uh, Facebook groups of parents of pre-meds and pre-law and whatever. Um, and this is this is the ultimate like question. And I'm happy to hear that a lot of the advice from the, the quote unquote experts of the group, the people who are like admins of the group and have started it and whatever, uh, they are pretty clear uh, not not spreading misinformation. Go go to the school where your kid will be a good fit, yep. where they're going to thrive, uh, where they are not going to rack up a ton of debt, um, and just go have fun. The the institution yeah. matters very little. Yeah, I agree. No Good question, Abdul. Hanin asks, how can I describe having to move out of the U.S. and live back home during my undergrad years because of my grandparents' well-being? I didn't have much of a choice in the matter. Will this be a negative? So the the issue I see, Scott, we talk about this a lot, is is doing your undergraduate insti- your undergraduate courses outside of the U.S. Yeah, in, in Canada, that's the bigger so, issue here. Yeah, the, the question would be like, were you doing online school mm-hmm. through the U.S. institution, or did you do your college, your undergraduate years in this other country? That that mm-hmm. is the bigger issue. Yeah, yeah, I or agree. Did- or did they have a like a break where they had to stop attending school during that time? Yeah, could you be. Yeah. yeah, could be. I don't think it's going to be a negative. The, the only no. in, in terms of you as an applicant, I don't. I don't think that you know. Even if it was a break in in your in your um, your undergraduate years, um, that's not going to be a negative. You you you, you may want to indicate that in the application or in the secondary application what you know why things occurred and stuff so explaining that but uh, generally speaking now that the caveat to that is as ryan said if you're uh if you had to go to a foreign 
uh, undergraduate institution, then that's going to be problematic. <sighs> Something lemon. <laughs> hey there, would you consider COVID screening to be clinical experience? Doing things like taking temperatures, asking questions, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. We've yep. talked about that a lot. COVID screener, definitely clinical. Yep. Should we do a quick, what is the definition of clinical? Oh, good <laughs> idea. Brenia. Anything where you are directly involved in, responsible for, um, engaged in the health and care of a, another human being. It's the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. So screening temperatures, um, you know, doing the questionnaire, um, Engaging with patients in that way absolutely would count as clinical. The setting doesn't matter, right? We talk about this all the time. It's not where you're doing it. It's mm-hmm. are you directly involved in their caretaking vitals, things like that. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Nara, should I apply with a 3.5 and 505 MCAT or should I retake the MCAT and apply next year? So, Minar, the uh, the 3.5, we love to say, doesn't tell us anything. Mm-hmm. Is it a 3.5 with an upward trend? Is it a 3.5 with a flatline trend? Is it a 3.5 with a downward trend? Is it a 3.5 with a roller coaster trend? Yeah. Uh, so, this is why one of the, the reasons we created MAPT. Uh, MAPT is a technology a, a app platform where you can go create a free account. Uh, and go track your GPA and go graph it. And then you can come to us and say, hey, here's here's my graph. Uh, and we can see it. And then we can give you much better advice through MAPT, through that 30-day free trial. Uh, you'll also have access to a MAPT advisor through MAPT. So one of us, uh, where you can just message with us after you put in all of your grades, you can say, okay, like now look at my 3.5. What does that mean? Um, so that, that will help. A 505 Although we're MCAT. still going to say we're not going to talk to you about it unless you tell us about your activities. <laughs> yes, you got to put it all <laughs> in. I don't care about your stats if you don't tell me about your activities. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> put it all in. Um, a 505 MCAT, not horrendous, not amazing. Um, a higher MCAT score can always help too. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep trucking. Jonathan asks, do multiple publications really help your application that much? Nope. Period. Nope. <laughs> Full stop. Stop there. So, so I'll give my little spiel. Uh, and Scott, you can, you can uh, pile on or disagree or whatever you want to do. Um, uh, to me, the admissions committees know that research, great. You want to do it? Go ahead. Publications are luck, right? You joins the research at the right time. You uh, joins the right research that happened to get data that supported something that warranted uh, publication. publication. Mm-hmm. There, there are lots of things that have to go right uh, for you to have an abstract, have a publication, all of that fun stuff. The publication is not the end goal of doing research in terms of what you're trying to show the admissions committee. The fact of doing research shows that you're curious, you're inquisitive, you are starting to understand the scientific method and think critically about this kind of stuff. I still think that research is one of the most overrated parts of an application. 
according to pre-meds um, because they pre-meds think research is the only thing that matters for some reason. Um, obviously a little hyperbolic there, but those, those are my thoughts on research and publications. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I generally agree with what you're saying, Ryan. I, I, I think that I, I'm much more interested in the second part of his question, the statement research has been my favorite activity and I ended up getting a few publications. I, li- I like what he says. Research has been my favorite activity. I have two comments about that. One is, <clears throat> that's awesome. And uh, if you anticipate doing research in, in the future, and that's a part of what you want your medical career to be about, then, then you know, you're really going to talk about that. My guess is that the research you've done is going to end up being a most meaningful on one of your activities. And so you're going to be telling the story of why you like it, what you've learned out of it, you know, the reflection part uh, of that. Uh, the second thing I want to say about that is, is research – more favorite to you than your clinical activities and if it is then you know i want you to reflect on that jonathan and just just you know think about what you've said research my favorite activity um if bench research has has been your favorite activity then then i think you know you need to consider what that means in terms of your future uh what that means in terms of your medical career uh, et cetera. So just, you know, kind of ponder all that and, and think about that, because if that came, comes up to an admissions committee, depending on how you communicate it in your application, uh, you, you, you know, you the, the question may be, well, why if, if you're into research that much, why not go do a Ph.D. in biochemistry and or whatever and, and do research? Um, but uh, so you need, you know, you need to think through that. And, uh, and in an interview setting, you know, it may be it may come up. Tell me about your research and how you see that connecting with your um, future in medicine, et cetera. All right. Well, let's keep chucking. Okay. Pinky asks, if a student graduates with an engineering degree and works for a year or two, then decides to attend med school, how much hands-on clinical experience would this prospective applicant need to be competitive to med schools? So... The, the clinical experience question, Verinia, we, we talk a lot about uh, the importance of clinical experience and <clears throat> the, the ramifications of lack mm. of clinical experience. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I was reading this. This reads like a math problem, like a word problem. But um, it's, you know, it, the fact that you are working after completing your engineering degree for two years and then you decide to attend medical school, that isn't as relevant as what have you been doing during that time? I don't know what the work is that you've been doing. If it's clinical, if it's just working at a, you know, a job in, in engineering. So there's no way to quantify it. What you need to figure out is have I experienced enough to say that I know what it's like to, to work as a physician, to work in healthcare, to work with patients, to deal with human beings at their scariest, you know, hardest time. Um, that's really what you have to ask yourself. So in terms of how much, enough until you feel like you've learned that. That may be a year, that may be, you know, two years, however long it takes. Um, and you want to have varied experiences as well, or you want to be able to see, you know, different aspects of healthcare, not just, you know, what it looks like to just get 
vitals taken or something like that. So it, it goes back to what have you been doing during that time, that two-year time period. Um, if it hasn't been related to patient care, then then I suggest you start looking into doing that for as long as possible. I can't really quantify beyond that. Yeah. 137.5 hours. Yeah. That's what you need. Uh, I'm going to say 1,786 hours. <laughs> well, you all are $1. better $1. than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we'll never yeah. quantify it. Yeah. I mean, this we're is a common question. It. Pinky, you're mm-hmm. not alone. So we're not, yeah. we're not coming down. No. You. We're never going to say how much <laughs> because there is no number. Yeah. The number is yeah. enough that you have seen patient care at its worst and best and you're going to show up and take care of other people and love yep. the job. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, there's yeah. just not much point in applying until you know that. Should, should there be a number? Should medical mm-hmm. schools follow the PA route where PA schools a lot of times have, this is what we require at a minimum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a thousand or two thousand hours. It's a lot for the PA route. Yeah, yeah. I think the PA route. Yeah, it's usually around a thousand. So that sort of assumes six months of full time work or a year of half time work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think something like that would be smart. Not because you hit that minimum and then there's a checkbox, because it helps set the expectation that it should be something relatively long term. Mm-hmm. You know, you go do it for a winter break for a summer. That's not enough time to grind. It's not enough time to burn out. And I mean, I think being a physician is a wonderful job and it's also a really demanding and frequently thankless job. And I, and obviously doing PA work um, or sorry, whether you're trying to be a PA or a, or a physician, you know, being a certified nurse assistant, being a medical assistant, it's not the same as being a physician, but at least approximates that, that patient care. Um, and I, I like the idea of making someone do it long enough that they really can get into the grind. I was, I wanted to add to that. I was recently chatting with a student on MapChat and, and we were talking about this and how much experience he's had. And he said to me, I said, this along the same veins, you know, you, you want to make sure that this is what you want to do, that this is showing you that patient care is what you want to do. And he said, you know, you're right. Um, I've learned through my experience that when people are feeling sick and they're not well, they're not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds funny to say it that way, but to me, that was important because you realize, no, they're not very nice when they're not feeling well and when they're, you know, in pain and he yep. still wants to get up and go help them. That's mm-hmm. what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's really tricky too, right? Because I mean, we could take this on a million tangents, but studies have shown if you're polite about your pain, they don't take mm-hmm. you seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So like my amazing yoga breathing and Billy did a handle pain doesn't always do me service because they're like she's fine i'm like i'm taking it's every fiber of my being to not drop an f-bomb on you right now (laughs) (laughs) i'm not fine i'm just trying to not be rude (laughs) Um, so yeah people are scared and nervous and often it's not the patient it's the patient's family member you got to deal with all of that (laughs) yeah yeah pinky keep going until you feel like i really know it All right, let's keep going. Jose, already having a bachelor's degree and taking the prereqs for med school, will this impact my application? Uh, Will what impact your application? (laughs) I'm not sure. 
Yeah, I don't understand what he does. <laughs> uh, it, it, I'm assuming potentially he's saying I had to take my prereqs after having my bachelor's degree. Will that impact my application? No, that's called a post back. It's yep. very, very common. Yep. Yep. Do well. <laughs> Not doing well will impact your application. Yeah. Our friend Magnolia Med, can a psych professor that taught a class that will likely be BCPM due to 50 plus percent biocontent write my science letter of recommendation? <laughs> Scott, you're. <laughs> Yeah. I put Scott on camera before you even said his name. I was like, I, I this one. I, you know, I, I worry a little bit about that. I, I think that it would be too easy for what that's going to require is an admissions committee member or, or a staffer to really look deeply into your application to see that that psych professor then yeah i don't know i i it's too easy for the admissions committee member to see oh they're a professor of psychology maybe in the letter they indicate that they taught you in a particular class but unless they go into detail about how the the in the letter how the how the content of their class is such that it meets the prerequisite for in which they're not going to do in their letter. It would be very easy for an admissions committee to overlook that letter and think this is not a science professor letter. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not going to have access to mm-hmm. AMCAS's adjudication of the right. class of that person as right. a science. So right. it's, there's yeah. more issues than, than not potentially. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think it sounds like a great letter to have, but I don't think you can count on it being a science professor letter. Yeah, And that's a big picture learning for, for everyone listening, right? Because we get a lot of, will this thing in my app impact this other thing in my app? Mm-hmm. And generally, I think the answer is, assume they've only seen the one piece they're looking at right then and there. Yeah, yeah. Especially on an initial review, you know, maybe on the deep dive when they're making decisions, you know, you, you get a lot more... Uh, stuff there that they could consider, but on an initial review, you know, I, I think that's asking a lot. Mm. Yep. Just one small clarification. Physiological psych. Yeah. Same answer. Yeah. I don't think okay. that changes my answer. Okay. Yeah. What, what if just what if, because typically uh, at least from my understanding is, um, in AMCAS, Interfolio, TMDSS, et cetera, um, the, the classification of letters of recommendation, you're not classifying like this is a science letter, this right. is a non-science letter. That's so right. it, it's going to be up to the reviewer of that application opening up the letter of recommendation and then kind of going off of their checklist of like, okay, do we have two science, one non-science? Can magnolia mckenna go and and say okay write my letter but at the very top of the letter say like i am writing this as a science letter based on blah 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 like could they potentially force that narrative into the letter yeah (laughs) gosh yeah you're you're, you're like it's a lot of work to Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah 
Whenever and, Scott know, sucks his teeth, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, in terms of the admissions committee members or the reviewers, you know, whoever's looking at your application, you never want to make, you, you never want to force them to connect all the dots. You know, you, you connect the dots for this, for the app, for the, mm-hmm. uh, for the reviewer. You don't want them to have to connect the dots because they're not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, this is not Pee Wee Herman. Connect the dots. La, 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 la. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right. Good old Pee Wee. Now, we got this a week or two ago. Someone asked about FlexMed, which is a specific kind of early assurance program. Um, So we kind of punted on that one. So I don't know if we want to try to tackle again. Sure. Would you be able to provide insight on early assurance programs for sophomores and what ad comms are looking for in earlier applicants? Scott, did, did UT Southwestern have any early assurance programs with no. anyone? No. no. So early assurance programs, University of Florida had one, I think it was called future doctors, maybe um, where you would apply sophomore year. Uh, and it's basically you're applying to medical school. You're applying to that mm-hmm. medical school. And you're saying, here's my body of work so far. They're probably going to want to look at your standardized tests. It'll be interesting to see now that a lot of schools are not, don't care about SAT, ACT, um, how these early assurance programs are going to judge that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, They're going to look at at test scores if you have them. They're going to look at uh, probably undergraduate GPA, uh, potentially. They're going to look, not undergraduate, high school uh, GPA. And they're definitely going to look at your undergraduate GPA, how you're performing in your first, second year, third year, depending on when the early assurance programs you are applying to, um, when those applications are due. And they're going to look at everything else that they require, probably a personal statement, probably a letter of recommendation, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And they're just at that point looking for the the best of the best to try to skim off the fat, so to speak. Uh, Although that's more of a negative thing, but they're looking for the cream of the crop um, so that they're, they're kind of stealing you before you go out into the, the broad AMCAS, ACOMAS, TMDSAS world where you, you may get lost uh, mm-hmm. to another school. Mm-hmm. All right. Abood, summit schools like Mayo and Wayne State, for example, are not rolling admissions. So what is the benefit of applying early to those schools? And will an August AMCAS admission hurt in this case? So Abood, the the problem is that primaries go out to every school. So if you're like, well, I'm only applying to Mayo and Wayne State and they don't have rolling admissions, then there is no benefit in applying early potentially. Uh, I, I don't know. What do you think, Scott? Well, that's in terms of rolling admissions, in terms of the actually admit acceptance. Uh, rolling still applies to interviews. And so they're, they're, they, they, those schools, Mayo Clinic's class is tiny. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're a lot, they only have a certain number of, the, 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 there's a finite number of interview slots at any school. Yeah. And so as they allot slots, then the, you know, you're 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 vying for yeah. a, a slot out of a much smaller pool. So I I think in terms of acceptance you're right about but in terms of interview which is prior to acceptance, I think it still applies. Yeah, so it's it's a 
pseudo rolling emissions. It's mm-hmm. it's still yeah. it's important part of the process. Early. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's not like schools are waiting until February and going, okay, everyone's applied. Now let's start interviewing people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And interview seats are at a premium. Mm-hmm. Yep. Especially yep. as the applicant pool grows, you know, that's, yep. that's really a, a, a key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. Brennan asks, is there any advantage going to an undergraduate school that has its own medical school? Is there an increased chance of admission? Case Western uh, and its MD program, for example. So it's funny. We were just talking about this uh, no, no, no. There, there are very few institutions where uh, there's preference for their undergraduate. Uh, UC Riverside is the one school that I know of just off the top of my head, uh, because that is a very, very specific population, mm-hmm. very specific um, part of Southern California with the Inland Empire, where uh, if you're going to undergraduate school there, you're probably from the area and that medical school is there to serve that area. So they're assuming you, you go to school here, you're going to stay here because you, you, this, is, this is you. So um, there, I'm sure there are a couple other schools out there. but Yeah, and picture. for similar reasons, yeah. like Marshall for its central Appalachia focus. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, oh, go ahead, Scott. Well, I was just going to say that I know that when, uh, when UT, University of Texas at Austin, began their medical school, you know, I guess it's been five or six, seven years ago now. Um, there was a big concern that this not become uh, the, the the UT not be seen as the feeder school for the UT Med School, Dell Med School, mm-hmm. and um, and and this fits, I think, within the context of the issue of diversity. And you know, you don't want uh, your your entire class or even mm-hmm. a large portion of your class to be from one particular undergraduate institution you want a variety of voices a variety of people coming from different different backgrounds different institutions different majors you know that's that's part of diversity as well and uh, so short answer to your question brennan is 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 i agree with ryan no i don't think it matters all right let's see Jay asks, is it okay to write about self-harm in my personal statement to make a case of why I would like to become a physician? So, uh, when we're dealing with self-harm, my assumption is is some sort of mental health, depression stuff going on. And we get this question a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Is is it okay to write about mental health stuff or will that be a potential red flag to medical schools, to the admissions committees? Uh, Verinia, we were actually talking a little bit about kind of our philosophy on personal statements before this call, uh, before this live stream. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in general, the personal statement is your story about why you want to be a physician. Right. Yeah. And, and talking about mental health could potentially be a red flag. Mm-hmm. And if it's your story, you're probably going to have to talk about it and, and uh, do it in a way that maybe lessens the red flaggishness of it, if that's a word. What are your thoughts here? I, I completely agree. I mean, if this is if this was your um, what we refer to as your seed, what sort of got you um, started you on this path? Um, you know, I think and I think 
the team here agrees, you need to be authentic to yourself. If that's your story, then absolutely. Um, and write about it in a way that won't, you know, cause any sort of additional concern. Maybe you can talk about how you overcame certain obstacles and challenges and were able to um, mentally be in a better place now. Um, but it's it's very important to just be authentic to who you are. Um, and, and I just want to add, if you're going to share that, be comfortable with it, obviously coming up during an interview that you, you know, you'll be able to talk about it without becoming too emotional um, because yeah. that, that becomes then more of a challenge. If you're very emotional about it during your interview, uh, it may not go so well. Yeah. And I, I would add to that, that I, I think that my feeling is that you don't want to go into too much detail mm -hmm. So you said here, self-harm, I, I don't think I'd bring, I don't think I would go to that level of detail. Mm -hmm. I would just say, you know, I, I had some challenges, you know, some, some uh, mental health challenges. And uh, this led to me, you know, being interested in medicine, blah, 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 whatever. But I, I wouldn't go too granular on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because the truth is, like, the act of self-harm wasn't the thing that right. is driving. It's it's the experience of, of going through whatever you're going through and being cared for potentially and mm -hmm. overcoming mm -hmm. um, potentially. That is the motivating factor. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. There's a phrase I use sometimes when we get these questions about, like, can I share my trauma? Can I share you know, this horrible thing that happened to me or this mental illness that I've been, you know, managing. And I, sometimes what I'll say is um, it's okay to share scars, but not open wounds. Mm. It strikes me with this question that I need better phrasing <laughs> because I don't mean it literally. <laughs> right. right? right, right. Um, and what, what Verenia was saying about you need to be past it enough that you can talk about it. Um, and I think Ryan can probably, because he's been through medical training, can speak to this even better than I can, that it's very important that physicians are sympathizing with their patients, not empathizing with their patients. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be so deep in it that you're feeling your shiz too, right? You need to have a little bit of professional distance so you can do your job. Um, so that, I think, is going to be your challenge, Jay, is like you've been through this really tough thing that's probably going to make you kinder and more open-minded and a better listener, but you need to show them in the essay that you're through it enough that you're not going to be reliving your own trauma when helping other people with theirs. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and let me just clarify, um, Jake Goodman on TikTok, on Instagram, he's uh, creating a, a nice movement of being open and honest about being a physician and struggling with mental health and being on medications uh, for, for mental health stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of myths out there that if you are a physician and you are seeking therapy for any sort of mental health stuff, that your license is going to be called into question. I just, I want to put this myth to rest. Yeah. Um, my, my wife uh, is crazy and she recently just applied for like eight different state medical licenses and over and over and over again, the question that state medical boards ask is, do you have any physical or mental illnesses, conditions that will impact, impair your ability to take care of patients. 
there's that qualifying addition to the question, not just do you have mental health issues uh, or have you struggled with mental health stuff? Are you seeking care for mental health stuff? It's that will impact your ability to take care of patients. Mm-hmm. Right. And for some people, that answer may be yes, temporarily. And then it's not. So don't be afraid to seek help if you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. The only 100%. piece of that I'm going to challenge is the description you use for your wife. She, <laughs> she's not crazy. Oh, oh. <laughs> Maybe she just needs a slur to talk about her mental health. <laughs> you were just saying that, that doc, the other Dr. Gray in your family is an extremely eager and ambitious physician. Yes, ambitious, crazy, same thing. I, like <laughs> I mean, she's not here to defend herself. So someone's trying to speak up. Okay. She's upstairs. I can go get her. Yeah. She'll be like, what well, Rachel said. I think we need to normalize it, though. I mean, us us in helping professions, we need to be, you, you just take on all this trauma. You have to be able to kind of, you know, find an outlet for it and release it. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't ever go see a therapist who wasn't in therapy. Yeah. Right. And exactly. I don't really want to see doctors who don't go see their own doctors when they're sick, whether right. it's, you know, body or brain, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> brain or other parts of body. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's keep checking here. We've done a lot of clinical, but people just want us to tell them. <laughs> Would delivering oxygen to patients in their actual home be considered clinical? Interacting with them by talking and replacing their tanks. Let's replace oxygen with milk. Yeah. 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 No. 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 I don't think so. Sorry. Nope. Sorry. Very important. Yeah. Patients need their oxygen. Yes. Apparently, it's important to breathe. I don't know. <laughs> It's just, it's funny. I was just random, random tangent. She goes, um, I, I was, I was scheduling something, uh, some kind of procedure. If it was like an echo or I think it was an echo. I was having my heart looked at just, just in case. Um, and, and I'm scheduling it and scheduler's asking these questions and, and she goes, uh, do you require oxygen? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I do. If you're asking if I need like supplemental oxygen, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm like, you should probably reframe your question. <sighs> that was very funny. Actually, I flourish in an environment of n- nitrogen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, there is plenty of nitrogen in our air. Mostly. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> Isabel, do adcoms have stereotypes about nurses I should address in my personal statement? Nursing is part of my story, but I've heard I should separate myself from nursing and say, I like science. <laughs> no, no, no. You're sorry. Mm-hmm. We love, we love nurses, right? There's, so this goes back to, I, I think um, there's some data that the AAMC mm. puts out about allied health career fields in terms of undergraduate majors and that um, I believe they have a lower acceptance rate to medical school compared to other majors. And that's probably where this is coming from. My assumption. Um, No, like it's awesome. You're a nurse. You you are taking care of people and now you want to do it in a different way and maybe a bigger way, potentially. Like, that's awesome. What do you what do you think, yeah. Scott? Yeah, I agree completely with that. I, I I don't think it. So I always worry when somebody says I heard. 
<laughs> on student doctor network <laughs> or from some pre-med at their school or, you know, whatever, um, yeah. that, you know, no, 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 no. So I, I agree with you. I think nursing is not, not, uh, looked down upon or anything like that. And, and, and definitely don't say I like science. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can say it if you phrase it in true, a different Right. Well, yeah. Phrase but, it in a different way. Yeah. I like science as a good thesis statement for why you want to be a scientist, mm-hmm. not why you want to be a physician. Yeah. All right. Here's a good problem to have. Emma, how do you choose patient interactions to include in your personal statement if you have multiple very impactful ones? Is there ever, quote, too much info or, quote, too personal of info to include, aside from the obvious? Uh, yeah, we were kind of talking about this yesterday in Application Academy. The session was uh, about watering events, which uh, we kind of think about in terms of the patient interactions that are confirming your desire to be physicians. And especially going back to the, the last question, if you're a nurse, you're going to have lots of patient interactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Verenia, what are your thoughts on how to, how to figure out the uh, unfortunately, you only have 5,300 characters. How do you figure out which ones to fit yeah, in there? Yeah, that's what I was just about to bring up. Obviously, you want to be mindful of the character limit, um, but it's going to require just, you know, really digging deep, doing some reflection on, you know, what what were the events that really kind of framed in your mind? My goodness, this is what I want to do. This is why I want to do this. This is the impact I can make. Um, and, it, you know, pick, you know, usually two at most, you know, we'll tell that story um, in a way that's really showing why this is important to you. Um, but the but the character limit kind of forces you to um, really be selective and force, you know, force yourself to kind of stick to those one or two scenarios. Mm-hmm. True. Morgan asks, is it okay to apply to MD-PhD programs in the middle of a post-back? So I had this conversation recently with um, a student, actually today's episode of the pre-med years. And the, the conversation that we had was she had a less than a 2.5 undergraduate science GPA at graduation. So she finished her undergrad 2.5 less than a science GPA. So she did a, a post-bac um, and she applied to medical school, her first application cycle, during her post-bac without finishing the courses. And her advisor said, eh, probably not ready. My general advice is don't do that if you're using the post-bac for grade repair, right? right? Finish showing the school that, that you have fixed what's, what your issue was uh, and you can finish strong and then apply. So... Morgan, if you're applying because you're trying to show academic ability, probably wait until you're done. Scott, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To- total agreement. You, you can't assume that schools are going to look at any sort of updates or anything when it comes to GPA. So yep. just don't yep. play that game. Yep. Nina asks, I did my undergraduate outside of the USA and Canada, but I did my master's at the University of Toronto, Canada. Would having a bachelor's degree outside of the USA, Canada be a problem? Yeah, it could be. 
Yep. We've talked yep. about this a bunch. Potentially the masters yep. will, will negate that issue, but hmm. you're going to have to talk to schools and find out what they think. That's going to be an individual school decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. One fifty one. We got time for a few more. Yeah. <clears throat> Abood asks for schools that take highest MCAT score. Do they still look at previous scores and look down if they were low? How dare you improve? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I think the high score was a fluke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. Yeah, you're good fine. Job. It does yeah, happen I mean, sometimes in SAT land. <laughs> it does. But, but you just move on and go, ha! Yeah. Tricked you all. Uh, Alan asks, uh, the way I understand it, if I spread X, SA 125-ish amount of shadowing hours over three specialties, is this the best way to go about it? Okay, so... Um, Scott, you are a fan of, of multiple specialties for shadowing, mm-hmm. primary mm-hmm. care, surgery kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. My take is like, it's hard enough to find shadowing. Just get one uh, if that's great. If you can't yeah. get more, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you have the ability to get more, yeah, do it in, you know, in a different specialty. See what the differences are between, you know, the family practice, you know, doctor that you shadowed and the, plastic surgeon that you're shadowing. Yeah. Christopher, any tips on changing career paths in healthcare? How to answer the question that my current job is not something to fall back on when I'm focused on becoming a physician. I'm a respiratory therapist. I'm not sure I understand the question. Do you, do you I think he's asked, or yeah, I think he's asking, um, if they're currently in healthcare and they want to change careers, like someone going from nursing to medicine, um, I think they're a respiratory therapist applying to medical school um, and they don't want their current job or how to answer the question that my current job is not something to fall back on. I mean, I think you just have to be honest about why you're changing careers. Why, why not continue as a respiratory therapist? Um, What is it about that? Um, job that that you feel you know it's not what you want to do or what is it about medicine that makes you feel like that is what you want to do um that's yeah. that's what it comes down to at least that's how i'm understanding it mm, i agree yeah yeah i don't think that's going to be a problem christopher i mean mm, we get a lot I, of, I don't it's think often so. yeah. it's often nurse to physician mm-hmm. or yeah. sometimes pa to physician but it's it's common to be in healthcare and then realize, it, oh, actually, the physician role is the one I really want. Exactly, yeah, and you yeah, don't want to. A lot of it uh, goes to also how you're framing your current position, right? So, as a respiratory therapist, you don't you don't want to like approach it from a negative perspective and say, well, I I hate it, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, whatever the reasons are uh, that are you know more related to why you feel like being a doctor, you're, you know, you're making more of an impact that way is how I would approach it. Yeah, I agree. Well, we started with an acceptance, and I think we'll end with an acceptance. Alice has got a real good problem here. (laughs) (laughs) How can I respectively bargain tuition prices with multiple acceptances? Who do I reach out to? My top choice is an out-of-state school that will charge me out-of-state tuition, but it's the best fit for me. 
So, um, financial aid packages, Scott, is this something that students can proactively say, like, show me what you got, or do you just sit back and wait? No, I, I think that the process is much different at the medical school level than it is at the undergraduate level. Um, I would be careful about this and I would just, you know, number one, I would wait and, and see what the, what the medical school offer, you know, what they offer you and, uh, and see, you know, kind of how it plays out. Um, you know, for example, you know, they may offer you enough money. A lot of medical schools, if they offer you a scholarship at a certain level, you're automatically guaranteed to pay the in-state tuition rate, for example. I know that th- this is the case in Texas. So if, you're, if you get a scholarship in Texas, it used to be $1,000 a semester. It may be a little bit more now. But if you get at least a $1,000 scholarship, you're, you're – able to pay the in-state tuition rate. So I would, you know, m- you know, make sure you understand everything about the, the situation at the various medical schools, particularly this one uh, where you, uh, where you feel like it's, it's really the best one for you. But, you know, I would say, um, you know, just be, just be, uh, I, I don't, I don't know in terms of who you're going to reach out to, you would reach out to the, to the financial aid office, but they, you know, they may not, even be willing to talk to you until until they're they've got a process done where where they've awarded financial aid and, and they know better, um, you know. But you don't want to leave a sour taste in in their mouths with you, kind of when it becomes clear that you're bargaining uh, tuition prices. That's yeah. my feeling. Yeah. Sit tight, Alice. Yeah, Ask in the say, moment. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. But it's awesome that you got multiple acceptances yes. array for you. That's yeah. that's mm-hmm. awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, as as we just popped up on the screen, use the code 30 days free to try mapped app at mapped.com. Uh, as part of your 30 day free trial, you'll get access to our mapped advising chat right inside of mapped. Uh, mapped app where you can uh, enter all of your uh, academics, your your coursework, your MCAT, your activities, whatever, and then chat with one of us inside of Mapped app and ask questions and, and get some more potentially specific answers. Uh, and Application Academy is closing Friday, uh, February 11th, as we're recording this. It's February 9th. Uh, if you're applying in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, applicationacademy.com, you get to hang out with me four hours a week. Uh, one of uh, the three, uh, Verenia Scott or Rachel, for an hour to a week, our TA for a while as well each week, 40 weeks uh, to help you get into medical school. So thank you all for coming and hanging out. Thank you, Scott, Rachel, and Verenia for being amazing co-hosts and experts uh, to, to help answer questions every week. Absolutely. Thank you. One of my favorite, favorite things yeah. of the week. Me too. Yes. Same. All right. <laughs> See you guys next week. Bye. Everybody. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on ask the Dean.